All right. Well, no whiteboard tonight, and you will soon see why. Um, I want to thank Emily Barney for uh, elementary school teacher that she is, uh, doing the whiteboard verses every week for us so that you could read them versus my chicken scratch. Um, but tonight, since we're doing the whole book of Ephesians, I thought that on Super Bowl Sunday that was appropriate. Um, <laughs> plenty of time. Um, I don't know how long we took to do Ephesians, you know, verse by verse, but you know, I figure eventually we'll get done with doing the whole book tonight. Now, this, this will be a flyover, but my, I had two reasons actually for doing this. The, the less important reason was there's something about starting both morning and evening series on the same date, since they're just one Sunday apart. And I thought, well, the other thing was really because we broke Ephesians down to just two or three, four verses at a time, and it's stretched out so long. It's really sometimes hard to remember where you've been and what the big picture is. And so my goal tonight is, is to have us get just a big picture of what Ephesians is all about with essentially nine statements um, that I framed for helping us do that with some samples from uh, these cha each chapter that would fit with the statement. So, we chose as the theme for Ephesians, new life in Christ. So, what does this new life in Christ look like, and how is it possible at all? In chapter 1, we learn that new life in Christ brings us every spiritual blessing. And as Paul talks in chapter 1, I mean, he goes from eternity past all the way to eternity future. We're somewhere in between. And the question is, when you start a new life, like, hey, am I going to make it? Am I going to be able to do this? And the reality is that God is the one that's given us this life. And He had us in His mind. He loved us. Um, everything we have is from Him and is to His praise. We are not self-created. If we have new life in Christ, it's because God made the first move. And so, Paul actually starts with a doxology, a song of praise uh, to the Lord, a eulogy, actually, uh, when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So, we're not talking just about uh, the common blessings of providing food and a place to live and these kinds of things, but we're talking about the blessings that extend to eternity, the kind of blessings that are in the spiritual realm where we fight our greatest battles. And all of this is to the praise of His glorious grace, grace that shines with the splendor of God with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. It's because we're in Christ by the kindness of God that, that we can even live this life. And it's really important that we start with, when we talk about new life in Christ, that we start with how we can do it at all, and that, that Christ has given this to us. And as you read chapter 1, and I would encourage you maybe this week to just read through Ephesians once again, and you read the you know, kind of power that's available to us uh, in Christ, um, the kind of power that, that raised Him from the dead, 
And, and think about the possibilities of your life because of that. New life in Christ brings us every spiritual blessing. We get into chapter 2, and we learn that new life in Christ comes to us by grace through faith. We were dead, we were dominated, we were doomed, but God, the big turning point, and remember that this is going to, this ties into the fact that God has given us every spiritual blessing. He's the starting point, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were in debt in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then he talks a little further, and then these famous verses we remember, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. And that's referring to the whole process of salvation. This is not something you worked up, that you put together, but it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So nobody who makes it to heaven says, I'm here because I was good enough to make it. I worked hard enough to make it. For we are His workmanship. We are His masterpiece. We're His art project, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our lives should be characterized by good works. That, that's what walk means, is to walk about life. But these good works are the product of God's work in us. And so, it's the life we have from God first, and that produces the good works. The new life in Christ comes to us by grace, and when you think about grace, think of a gift. Grace is a gift. It's, if, if it were by works, it wouldn't be a gift, it would be wages. Okay? We didn't earn it, God gave it. But it's by grace through faith. Well, what is the connection of faith with grace? Well, faith, you know, here you have this rescue operation, this gift from God. Um, and, and if you're being rescued, you're drowning. What do you have to do to be rescued? You're not doing the rescuing. But what do you have to do? Well, one of the hardest kinds of people to rescue, say they're drowning, guy goes out there, the lifeguard goes out there to get him. What, if the person is trying to do it on his own and fighting the lifeguard, much harder to rescue. What, what the person being rescued has to do is trust the lifeguard and let him carry him to shore. That's why faith is necessary. You have to trust the lifeguard. You have to believe more than just intellectually. You have to rely on the God who is rescuing you. You have to actually believe that God is that good, that He would rescue someone drowning in His own sin. And to the degree to which you're trying to Rescue yourself. You're not relying on the only person who can rescue you. That's why it's by grace through faith. Remember, faith is not just belief. Faith is reliance. You're actually relying on the person, the only person who can rescue you. New life in Christ comes to us by grace through faith. Second part of 
chapter 2, new life in Christ then unites all ethnicities into one body. And I use the term ethnicities because that's really a translation of the word Gentile. Uh, we talk about ethnic food, comes from a Greek word ethnos, okay? The ethnicities are, are all the peoples, all the nations besides the Jews. And the new life in Christ, and by the way, Christ, what does that translate? Who remembers, what's the Old Testament word for Christ? Messiah. Is that a Jewish term or a Gentile term? Yeah, it's, it's Jewish background, okay? But, but the Old Testament prophesies that in the Messiah, the Gentiles, the ethnicities, would trust. It wasn't fully revealed yet. It was a mystery, but eventually it's revealed. And Paul spends a lot of time talking about how God has taken people from every ethnicity and made them one with the Jews in Christ. Now, to us, most of us are Gentiles. There's some of us that have Jewish roots, but most of us are Gentiles. So it's like, well, of course. Like, yes, the Gentiles. But in the first century, this was radical. I mean, radical, and they were fighting words. In fact, the reason Paul is writing from house arrest in Ephesus is because of how radical they were. Ephesus is in the province of Asia. And when Paul was visiting Jerusalem with a relief offering for the saints there, and he was in the temple precincts, it was Jews from Asia who accused him of bringing Gentiles into the temple area where they weren't supposed to go and, and accused him of being an enemy of Moses and of the temple and nearly beat him to death if he hadn't been rescued by the Roman guards that were there. And that led to his being in prison in Caesarea. Um, there was a group of assassins that wanted to kill him. And, and finally, he ends up having to appeal to Caesar in Rome. And that's why he's in Rome under house arrest, because he dared to say that all ethnicities were united in Christ in one body. So this is really radical. In our setting, that, that divide is not so big, but we can think about other divides that are big. We, we still, you know, when I look around, I see mainly white faces. Why is that? Okay. It's because of our historical roots, okay? And, and, and yet, even though largely white faces, which is not as deep a divide, actually, than, as Jew and Gentile was, it, we, we see more spread than you might think. When you start learning the backgrounds of the people in our church, you find out they, they're coming from all kinds of places, all kinds of backgrounds, and they're united in one. Now, how does Paul deal with it? Ephesians 2 12 and 13, remember that you were at that time talking to these Gentile believers separated from Christ, separated from the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, from the body politic, from, from the, I mean, this word we get politics from, you, you weren't part of that. Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. They were worshiping idols that are no gods. But now, in Christ Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, you who are once far off 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The reality is, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you needed the blood of the perfect God-man to cover over your sin, to purge you from sin, make you right with God, and reconcile you to God. And that's what brought us together. Verses 19 and 20, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Our identity, our chief identity, is not whether we're from the north or the south or what our particular ethnic background is or what our educational background is. That is not our chief identity. Our chief identity is that we are members of the household of God, that we belong to God, that we're fellow citizens of an everlasting kingdom of the Messiah, that, that what we believe and what brings us together is the testimony of the prophets. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and the apostles, he's here Jesus Christ being the main hero of this gospel story, that's what brings us together. So as we think about that in our context, what that means is that we want to minimize, we minimize the significance of the other differences. It's not that we wipe them out, the differences are there, but we, the significance of those differences are, are small, is small, compared to the significance of belonging to Jesus. This is what provides unity in the body, and this is why unity in the body is, is absolutely essential to a clear gospel message. Where there's not unity, where people are at each other's throats because of the different kinds of divides that divide humanity, the more unclear the gospel is. So, what are the challenges to that? Well, political years, where there's, we've got elections, a lot of challenges to that. Where there's differences of opinion as, you know, in different kinds of groups. Be very careful about getting sucked into these polarized groups and, forget when, and forgetting that your main identity is that you belong to Jesus and that you're connected with those that belong to Him. New life in Christ unites all ethnicities into one body. And then new life in Christ calls for faithful gospel witness. And Paul talks at length about the, the stewardship that he had to be faithful to declaring this mystery of the gospel, this mystery that, that once where you had the Jews separate from the Gentiles, now they're together in Christ. And the, the very fact that he's writing this from house arrest in Rome, you know, it's a prison epistle, demonstrates to us how costly this was for Paul to be true to his calling. So, we, we want to give the truth of the gospel no matter what it costs us. If it lands us in prison, so be it. If, if we lose everything, so be it. We can't give up this ground. Ephesians 3, 7, and 8 of this gospel, I was made a minister. When he says this gospel, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles together gospel. I was made a minister. Where do we get deacon from? According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. Think about how incredible it is that this persecutor of God's people, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, that God would pluck him from his self-righteousness and his, his hatred toward Christ and His people and make him an advocate of the gospel. I mean, Paul never got over what a rescue that was. And, 
And while our background may not be the same, we don't ever want to get over the rescue that God made when he rescued us. I used to think, because I grew up in a family where my mom and dad were trusting in Jesus, and and they were working in churches and in in teaching, I, I used to think, well, the reason I'm a believer is because I was born into this environment. And there's some truth to that in that I was exposed to the gospel. But then as I got older, I had any number of friends that never trusted Jesus. Or their trust in Jesus was only superficial. And over time, it became evident that they they were not relying on Jesus. They were still in love with themselves and with their sin. And they went off and did their own thing. And, And the thing that I noticed was if you've been brought up in a Christian environment and you reject the gospel, you're one of the hardest persons to reach on all the planet because you think you already know. And what needs to happen is a miracle of God's grace where God gives you life so that you actually see reality. And you're, no, you're, you're released from your love affair with yourself and with your sin, and you're released from the bondage to Satan. Well, he says in verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. I mean, he, he couldn't get out of his mind watching Stephen stoned to death. He was part of that. And Stephen wasn't the only one he saw die. Because remember, he, he made it his business to go haul people into court and to speak against them and even condemn them to death. That was what he was doing when Christ saved him. This grace was given to preach, to proclaim to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. God took a Pharisee who would have nothing whatsoever to do with a Gentile. He wouldn't dirty his hands, and he made him the apostle to the Gentiles. That was so offensive. That that was when the crowd went crazy. When he was telling them his testimony there in the Jewish precincts, having been rescued by the Roman soldiers, when he got to the point where Jesus told them, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, they went berserk. And, and, the, and the meeting was over. And so th- this was just such a radical change, and yet Paul looked at it as a gift of God's great grace to him to rescue him from this self-righteous, proud, holier-than-thou kind of spirit that produced hatred toward others, rescued him from that, and made him one that poured out love to Jesus and to others. And we've seen that, you know, we continue to benefit. Think about it. You and I, think about how much we have benefited from what God did in the life of the Apostle Paul. Such an unlikely instrument, and yet God used him for us as well as for those of his own generation. Chapter 4, New Life in Christ transforms our lives so that the entire church grows. So he talks about this transformation. It's not just that now we're part of a body together from all kinds of backgrounds. Now he's going to weave us together. The Spirit gives gifts. We use these gifts for the benefit of others. And he talks about how this works in Ephesians 4, 11 and following. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... We, we use the word pastors. We translate pastors from shepherds and teachers. They're one and the same. All of these are teaching gifts to the church. Why did he give them? 
to equip the saints, to equip those that belong to God, to make them functional for the work of ministry. What's the point of that work of ministering? For building up the body of Christ. And he goes further and talks about how that works, from whom the whole body, Christ being the head, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. In other words, every kind of connection that you have with another believer or with other believers is what God's going to use. Every kind of connection. So, God is working in your life. He's given you life. He's He's equipping you. He's giving you spiritual gifts and other kinds of gifts and opportunities. He's he's taking what he's pouring into you. He's connecting you with other people. And what he's doing in you now flows out through those points of connection. When we think of joint, we think of like a finger joint, but but joint is every joining place. He, He works through you, through those connections, so that when each part is working properly, when God is energizing and operative in your life, that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, here's the idea. What God is doing in your life is not just for you. What God is doing in your life is for everybody you're connected with, so that everybody benefits from what God is doing in you. And and this is how the church body is supposed to function. This is why we look at, you know, what what are my gifts and what are my opportunities and how can I use that in a way that benefits? This is why the, the good works, the beneficial works are so important. And as the church does this, the whole church is built up in love. And love is the prime characteristic of those that actually belong to God and are growing in grace. Remember, Jesus summed up all the law and the prophets, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the apostles explain, if you're not loving your neighbor, you don't love God. And you don't have the love of God in you. So if I'm loving God, and I'm loving God because he's loving me, his love in me now is going to flow out to others, and it flows out in the form of doing beneficial things toward them, using the gifts, experiences, whatever good as God has poured in my life, and letting that pour out to them in the connections that we have. So, Ephesians 4, we want to understand how uh, local church life works, and even beyond that, how Christians work together. Ephesians 4 is prime. New life in Christ transforms our lives so that the entire church grows. And that's in doctrinal maturity um, as well as practical maturity. Doctrinal maturity, we're not fooled by falsehood. Practical maturity, our lives are characterized by truthing and love. We're, we're transparent, we're loving, we're, we're looking out for other people. And, and what's cool about that is that it, it actually goes beyond just the church body. If my way of life is a way of love, then, and I understand that, that every human being is made in God's image, then, then wherever I go, I'm, I'm treating people in a way consistent with that. And this is what makes the church so attractive to those that aren't believers yet. They watch the love that you have among the believers. They say, I want to be part of that. But also the believers aren't just inward-facing, they're outward-facing and, and saying, 
hey, receive the love of God for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hey, receive that love. Show them that kind of love. And chapter 5 then goes into this new life in Christ, transfers us from darkness to light. And we see this, this huge contrast between what was normal in that pagan culture and what, what quite frankly, is normal today in our pagan culture um, and, and what changes when, when our lives are made Christ-like and characterized by love. So at one time, you were darkness. So the darkness isn't just the stuff, bad stuff around you. It's the bad stuff in you. It's, it's who we actually are. We, we sin because we're sinners. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And he's just talked about, you know, sexual immorality and crude joking and greed, this kind of indulgent, um, dissatisfied, ever-hungry, uh, grabbing what's not yours to feed yourself. That's the way of the world. Instead of this, like, black hole just sucking in all this dirt, sucking in everything for your own benefit, the believer, you know, light shines. Light is outward focus. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So, as we become children of the light, what the way we live is, is fruitful, it's beneficial, it grows, there's life there versus the darkness of death and corruption and what is harmful to other people. New life in Christ transfers us from darkness to light. And then the second part of chapter 5, new life in Christ demands yielding to the Spirit's control in all our relationships. And this is actually going to extend over into chapter 6. And let me just sum it up this way. Instead of living out of control, we live under the Spirit's control. His filling inspires our worship to the Lord. Remember Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs? We're instructing one another. That's horizontal. And we are singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, vertical. So our worship, um, our worship isn't just vertical. The worship is also instructive. And I should just comment about um, when we gather together as a church body, you know, why is it that we don't say, when you come in for worship, we want you to be silent, don't talk to anybody, we just want you to meditate and be prayerful and, and all of that. Is it that meditation isn't good? No. Is it, is it that you don't ever need any time for silence? No. But it's that that's not the only reason that we're here. We're not here just for the vertical. We're also here to benefit one another. We are a church body, and most of the week we're so separated out, um, except for the pockets of life groups and that kind of thing, that we can't interact with one another to benefit one another. So when we come together, we want to encourage that love toward one another, benefiting one another. When we're singing, we're singing to the Lord, but we're also teaching one another. You know, we need, I, I find every week, you know, I'm thinking, 
I just need to rehearse this truth. You know, I need this truth. I'm singing it to the Lord, but I'm also singing it to my own heart. I'm singing it to my brothers and sisters. We're basically saying, yes, this is true. Yes, this is what we are committed to live by. Let's, let's hang in there together. Let's stay the course. Let's keep living this way because this is what we believe. And we're also singing that to the Lord. So, this new life in Christ, the Spirit takes control. It has a horizontal as well as a vertical kind of worship. And that worship is practical in its impact in our daily lives. It empowers our self-denying relationships. Paul calls it submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our self-denying relationships with one another out of reverence for Christ and His rule over our lives. And he goes through the different relationships, husbands and wives in the home. And the husband's sacrificially loving his wife. The wife is submitting to his leadership. And, and that means giving up oneself. It's self-denial for both of them. Um, children and parents. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's, it's not because your parents are perfect and they never make mistakes. You do it in the Lord. You're serving the Lord when you obey the parents that God gave to you. But parents are also not supposed to exasperate their children. They're not, it's not might makes right kind of thing. It's they are tender toward their kids and they're, they're pointing them toward the Lord. And even slaves and masters, which we don't experience in our culture here, um, slaves and masters would be in the same church. And under that system, there is still a way that slaves should serve under their master's authority and masters should serve their slaves recognizing that God was authority over them. We apply that typically to the workplace because all of us have authorities over us, okay? and we want to respond to those authorities in the right way. In fact, in Titus, it talks about that, that this is, we're to be submissive to authorities, and we find that difficulty. I'm from South Carolina, the first state to secede from the Union, um, and I've, you know, it's in my blood. It's hard for me to submit but the rule of thumb is to submit to those that are in authority. And it's, you know what, it, it, I'm not losing something. My freedom is actually not my greatest asset. My greatest asset is that I belong to Jesus and I have new life in Christ. And so our relationships with one another reflect the Spirit's control. And so... If, if there's division in the home, if there's uh, disobedience, uh, children to parents, if parents are harsh with children, if husbands aren't living with their wives in an understanding way, and wives keep bucking their husbands, um, all of that is indicative not just of a personality conflict, that's indicative of the Spirit's not in control yet of what we're doing. And if we would humble ourselves under His control then the prime thing that comes out of that is love for other people. And love dictates an entirely different spirit uh, toward those that we live with and those we interact with. Chapter 6, new life in Christ requires taking up the armor of God to fight spiritual war. This is about midpoint in that chapter. In order to fight against the cosmic powers of spiritual darkness successfully, so this isn't just flesh and blood we're dealing with, we need the Lord's strength, we need the Lord's armor the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of gospel readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word 
of God. We can't fight these battles just on a human level and in our own strength. We've got to be leaning on the power of the Lord. And this goes all the way back to the fact that our new life in Christ is a gift from God and that our new life in Christ is about reliance on God. And that's not just at the beginning. That's, that's through every day of our lives So God brings us home. We're relying on God and what he supplies. And then the other thing that we see in Ephesians is that he punctuates these teachings with prayer. And new life in Christ, therefore, leads us to pray for one another. We have three major prayers that appear in the book. In chapter 1, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And so, really the focus there is, do you realize the blessing God's given to you and the power that's available to you? And so, he prays that these believers will will be keenly aware of that. And this is something that, you know, look at the prayers in Ephesians. This is something we can pray for one another. God, help my brothers and sisters to recognize how much God has given to them and the power that's available to them. Help them revel in the inheritance that God has given to them so that they can live life with, with the confidence and the faith that it needs to be lived. In Ephesians 3, he's just talked about the unity of the body, all ethnicities, And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, there are already believers, but this idea of him him taking up residence even more fully, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend to experience with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So if the, if the first prayer is focused on power, the second prayer is focused on love, that this would be a love-filled congregation um, reflecting the unity that Christ has brought to all ethnicities. And finally, in Ephesians 6, uh, after he's talked about this spiritual war, He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So every one of us needs others to be praying for us. Every one of us is in this spiritual battle, and we we need to have their prayers. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So he says, you know, we would think that Paul doesn't need our prayer, but, but Paul definitely needed their prayers. Here he is under house arrest in Rome. You would think that his ministry shut down and actually just the opposite happens. He says in Philippians, it's turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. We have all these prison epistles. We have members of Caesar's bodyguard that come to know Christ, members of Caesar's household that come to know Christ. And Luke says, as he finishes out Acts 28, that that he was able to boldly proclaim the gospel, no one preventing him. Why? Well, people were praying for him. So if I had to choose a word that this prayer is focused on, it's witness. It's witness. In this spiritual war, for us to be a shining witness 
uh, bold witness proclaiming the gospel to others. And we want to be praying for one another in these, in these ways. I, I would mention, um, you know, we're praying for the new series. Um, the series in John is going to be called um, Find Life in the Sun, S-O-N. Keying off of the, the theme verse in John 20 of why John wrote the gospel. And then the Old Testament biographies, I'm calling it People of the Promise. Um, as they look forward to the promise that God had given, uh, they're living those lives. This Friday uh, at 1.30, uh, I'm going to be speaking on Jonah um, at the Bible conference at Bob Jones University. So I wanted you to know about it, to be praying about it, but also uh, some of you might, might want to be there. Um, the theme is God's steadfast love, and I'll be speaking on uh, steadfast love beyond the bounds. And Jonah talks about... Um, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God's steadfast love would be such that he would rescue the Ninevites. And so it's a little, anyway, it, it helps us understand the heart of God, and I'd appreciate your prayers. Um, and I should, I'll let you just on the inside track. I almost always billboard my outlines. There is no outline. So you pray about that. I'm hoping I'm not going to put everybody to sleep, but it, it develops more like a storyline uh, rather than an outline, and I appreciate your prayers. Okay, let's summarize what we learned from Ephesians. New life in Christ brings us every spiritual blessing. New life in Christ comes to us by grace through faith. New life in Christ unites all ethnicities in one body. New life in Christ calls for faithful gospel witness. New life in Christ transforms our lives so that the entire church grows. New life in Christ transfers us from darkness to light. New life in Christ demands yielding to the Spirit's control in all our relationships. New life in Christ requires taking up the armor of God to fight spiritual war. And finally, new life in Christ calls us to pray for one another. We're going to finish out tonight with singing All I Have is Christ. It seemed to fit the theme. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace to us, and thank you for the life that we have in Christ. Lord, we are by nature a dying people. We are shackled by death, shackled by sin, and you have set us free to live. So God, may we live, may we run, may we shine, may we love May we pray, may we do battle royal for the King of Kings in his power and for his glory. May we display that you have given us new life in Christ.